Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. Seven scintillating additions to the Warner Archive Collection podcast are yours this week, traversing the worlds of big screen and small screen. First, we start off with a Blu-ray that's always the biggest news on a Warner Archive Collection podcast, and this Blu-ray is World Without End, the sci-fi cult classic from 1956, and this is in breathtaking cinemascope, and it's a new 2017 1080p remaster. It looks gorgeous, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking talking about this allied artist sci-fi epic. And then we move from the big screen to the small screen and Kids WB on TV as we bring Static Shock Season 1 to DVD. And this is an interesting one because it's part back in print and park first time ever on DVD. And then we traverse back from DVD of TV to the golden age of the silver screen and RKO Radio Pictures where we have some early pictures from the 30s as well as a picture from the mid-30s and a picture from the early 50s with none other than Groucho, find the secret word, marks. We have Smart Woman from 1931, Ladies of the Jury from 1932, The Richest Girl in the World from 1934, Fight for Your Lady from 1937, and A Girl in Every Port. So let's get the fun started and talk about World Without End. And this really is big news because this is really one of the earliest color science fiction films that set the tone in a low-budget setting that Forbidden Planet set in a big studio high-budget setting. It's very sort of like a parallel picture, Forbidden Planet, World Without End, you know, Cinemascope, full color science fiction epics kind of similar crew based stuff and yet one's an allied artist and one's an MGM so they're very different films World Without End is a ton of fun World Without End is kind of the time machine upside down yeah it's very much inspired by H.G. Wells masterpiece only with an added dose of American virility and costumes by Vargas and the leading man is none other than the supporting player of All About Eve Hugh Marlowe who also was the star of Earth versus Flying Saucers and speaking of time machine a supporting player who is often seen without a shirt on in this flick is none other than the time traveler himself, Rod Taylor. He had his shirt off, but he had his natural Australian accent on. And this is pretty much the film that made people notice Rod Taylor. Because he had his shirt off? No, because he's so good. Because he's so good. He's an inglorious bastard. He was a manly man in this. There are very familiar elements, and familiar meaning familiar to people at the time in 1956. Like, except for the story felt a little familiar, but when it was put all together, it made something new. Now, this is making its Blu-ray debut with a brand new master that we've created from a recently minted interpositive that was made from the camera negative. The color is unusually good for a film of 1956 vintage, which sometimes can be a little on the chancy side. And these colors are very stable. The image looks sharp. And people who love this film are shocked that it's out on Blu-ray no less looking this good. And you shall find no speckles here. This may be a B picture, but we gave it A treatment as Warner Archive only does. 
does. But just a word of note, there are speckles on the mutant beastmen. As yeah. there should be. Yeah. Costume speckles, I mean. <laughs> this is a crew mission, much like the Enterprise, and they make a wrong turn at Albuquerque. They accidentally end up in the far, far future, and they discover that mutant beastmen rule the surface, and a fet inbred... Regular people are down below, so that's very much time machine upside down. But now they have an injection of old-fashioned 20th century virility to save the day. And guns. And if you're a fan of Queen of Outer Space, much like Forbidden Planet, pay attention to some props and costumes because oh. you'll see them in Queen of Outer Space. Which is made two years later at the same studio. But this is a lot of fun. And more importantly, this film is given a, a level of respect in the annals of science fiction filmmaking as an important film for the footsteps that it would lead for others to follow in. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a respectable entertainment, and it's also a hell of a lot of fun. So we urge you to buy World Without End on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive Collection as soon as you can get to your computer. Now we move from the big screen to the small screen in animated television and Static Shock, The New Kid, and more. This is the season that was the first to run on the air, but there are actually four seasons all together and so yes the others will follow what's interesting about this is that the first season DVD that was released many many years ago only had a handful of episodes it wasn't the complete first season so people were kind of testing the waters hesitantly with a half season release and it didn't perform particularly well so they never even finished that full season and yet people have been screaming yelling begging to get Static Shock released on DVD and and now we bring the fan support to fan realization with the reality of Static Shock Season 1 on DVD, and it is the complete Season 1. Now, Dan, this has an interesting origin story in and of itself, the, the whole project. With a character of Static Shock, based on the comic Static from Milestone, is distributed by DC Comics, was a very, I want to say ahead of his time, but it was actually overdue time, young African-American superhero, somewhat in the mode of Spider-Man, good geeky role model, but also very realistic portrayal of what modern high school city kids face every day. So in the cartoon Static Shock, we have this little corner of the Milestone universe, Dakota City brought into the deeper DC animated universe where Static Shock will indeed cross paths with both Batman and in the future, the future Justice League. Now, this is now 17 years old. And that's the thing that was shocking to me was this cartoon is 17 years old because this is one of the new cartoons to me. Right. And what's great about bringing it out now is that the people who were kids at the time are now collectors. And so uh, we think this is going to be really popular. And it's a great bit of late 90s because it more feels 90s than the early 2000s. But it, it's a great piece of nostalgia. It has great music. It has a pacing to it that uh, was very new at the time and it's a lot of fun. It's very uh, Y2K. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the best way to put it. But the thing is, it feels very fresh. And most importantly, for people who had purchased those first few episodes and wish they could have the whole first season, they had an awful long wait. But the wait is finally over. Now you can have the whole thing. And there will be more seasons to follow. And with Static Shock and the previous recent release of Zeta Project, Mm -hmm. we are plugging the holes in your DC animated universe 
Universe Collection. And Kids WB fans. That's true, too. So Static Shock now available on DVD from the Warner Archive Collection. Again, all you have to do is go online and order it. It can be yours. Next, we move to the beep-beep-beep sound of the RKO Radio Pictures Tower, the tower that stood at the corner of Gower Street and Melrose Avenue for about two and a half decades until they went out of business. But RKO may have gone out of business, but their films linger on. And actually, the RKO entity exists today in name only. But we own the films, and we're happy to release them. And this quintet of RKO classics spans actually from the early 30s to the early 50s. And they're all different kinds of movies, but they're each one unique in uh, their content. The first is Smart Woman from 1931, and the smart woman is a favorite of the Warner Archive collection. Gregory LaCava, who has uh, no slouch when it came to making uh, pictures with strong women, directs this, uh, what we call it, a, a sex farce of manners? A comedy of remarriage, but with the, because it's 1931, topic is divorce. Mary Astor is the star. She's great. She plays a woman who returns home after taking care of her mother in Paris who is sick or discovered that her husband has left her for the mistress and she's going to figure out a way to turn the tables. I would not be me if I didn't mention a supporting part in this film is Edward Everett Horton who's sensational. For 1931, it has a lot of great stage style patter, verbal wordplay, and it plays re- really well. And it is, of course, the smart a smart set comedy. Yep. The problems among the very, very rich. And this was uh, popular at the time. Absolutely. As was the next film we're going to talk about, Ladies of the Jury, <laughs> which stars the one and only Edna May Oliver. Now, we love Edna May Oliver at the Warner Archive Collection because of the Hildegard Withers mysteries. And she... if you like those, you'll love this. Yeah, that's right. It's, 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 it's like prim- a prequel. Prime Edna May. She essentially plays a uh, rogue juror who hijacks deliberations in order to get to the bottom of the crime. But the film is also very much a satire of gender discrimination. Yeah, and and she plays her and what she becomes known for a high class lady with ill manners or like no no regard for convention, mm-hmm. unleashing her upon the court and the jury. She's changing the rules left and right, and nobody wants to correct her. No one can keep up with her either. And then she becomes. It's basically like uh, there's a Twelve Angry Men moment, but she is. The I was going to say it was almost Twelve Angry Women. Yeah, yeah. Know. This is a lot of fun, and also makes a great deal of important points for a movie that's 85 years old. Mm -hmm. So we highly recommend Ladies of the Jury. Now we move on to 1934 and Miriam Hopkins, who was a real, I would say, a highly praised and highly sought after ingenue in the early 30s in movies like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, she steals the show as the richest girl in the world in this 1934 opus from RKO Radio Pictures. And she is ably aided by Faye Ray, who plays her secretary and alter identity. Yeah, if only Faye Ray had done that with Kong. <laughs> Would have been a great romantic so comedy. She is the title richest girl in the world who is worth the largest fortune in the world and as such, her whereabouts, her identity, her appearance, and her romantic entanglements are a closely guarded secret, but they're very anxious to marry her off because you can't just have a single woman no. being that wealthy. Very dangerous. So in order to pass freely in society, she often pretends to be her secretary and her secretary pretends to be her and when she meets a seemingly ordinary guy played by a young Joel McRae she ends up in a love triangle with herself. The entanglements are many. 
Fight for Your Lady is indeed the title of our next film, which comes from 1937. And this is a sprightly programmer. He's an actor. We don't have a lot of films of his, but uh, this is a, very much a Jack Oakey picture. That's right. Jack Oakey was in the midst of making the transition from young leading man to supporting player. And this is kind of him in between. Yeah. When he was doing the Annabelle movies with Lucia Ball a little later. But he had a couple of years at RKO where he was making some real fun films and Fight for Your Lady is definitely one of them. He plays a wrestling manager who uh, is uh, very much in debt so he's trying to push his star wrestler to take a dive and then along the way he uh, comes across a nightclub crooner who's the leading man John Bowles and uh, decides to manage the nightclub crooner's uh, romances. And who does the nightclub crooner romance? Oh yes. I da Lupino. You do? Yes. The finest ventriloquist dummy dancer. (laughs) If this movie is to be seen for one scene, Ida Lupino's scene where she does an act with a dummy is something I have never seen before and I don't think is replicable in any way. I was shocked. Well, if I do anything, so I do Lupino. So, you know. <laughs> but uh, she really makes the movie for me. Oh, she yeah. and Jack Oakey are, are terrific. And John Bowles is always John Bowles. He's a staid, wonderful leading man. But uh, this film is a heck of a lot of fun, and we certainly recommend it most highly. Our last film was actually made 15 years later, and it was made at the nadir, as Lee Tracy would say, (laughs) the late years of of RKO's existence. And this is Groucho Marx starring in his last leading role on the big screen in A Girl in Every Port, along with the great William Bendix. William Bendix is playing very much the Bendix, and uh, Groucho is the caretaking con man pal, their lifetime Navy man, and uh, William Bendix accidentally buys a horse, and it appears that they've been ripped off, but things are not always as they appear. And the way that these guys get on and off the boat, I almost felt like this uh, story of the uh, wacky Navy guys who always have a scam going, this is almost like a TV show. It's, or, it's or very a radio much a pre Bilko, pre McHale's Navy. Yeah. The shenanigans that they get up to are quite interesting, and Groucho is his Groucho self. Yeah, and uh, the leading lady is Marie Wilson, who's always a delightful comedian as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, sure. Her... There, there's some good top tier comedic talent in this. When she and Groucho are completely talking to each other and not talking to each other at the same time, that is the comedic highlight. And this is an important part of the Marx filmography. The Marx Brothers didn't make very many films. They only made 13 films altogether in which all three appeared. And then Groucho made a few films on his own and Girl in Every Port is one of those. And it's highly delightful and it's highly recommended. If you're a big Marx Brothers fan and a Groucho Marx fan specifically, you can't afford not to have this in your video library. It's his last leading role, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. And then I after think, this, it was just TV and supporting players. The secret word is Little Shamrock. <laughs> well, there was the story of mankind, a, a like Warner I said, Archive favorite. Right, but that—that's a <laughs> that's a whole role. other thing. That was a cameo-filled movie, but it's still available from the Warner Archive collection, as are 2,400 plus other movies, which we continue to urge you to come and visit. You can go to wb.com/backslash/warner-archive right. and see what we have to offer. Right now, would 
would be the part of the podcast where we would share with you a fan letter that had been sent to us via the U.S. mail with a stamp on it and hopefully with a self-addressed stamped envelope inside so Dan could send someone some swag. But alas, we have no letter to read today. If you want to send us a snail mail letter, please send it to... Warner Archive Podcast, 3400 Riverside Drive, B160-4, Burbank, California, 91522. So that about wraps it up for this week's Warner Archive Collection podcast. But fear not, we will be back. Until that time, I'm George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Albert Evans. Thanks for listening and look forward to the next Warner Archive podcast. <laughs>